Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks for checking out this week's message video. I hope that it encourages and inspires and challenges you. And I also hope that you have a group of people around you that you can talk through some of these things with. If you don't, we have Restore groups at our church that we would love for you to be involved in. You can get all of that information on our website at restoreaustin.org. We're also in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment that Jesus gave us to love God and to love people. So ultimately, I hope that this message helps you better love God and better love the world around you. Hope you enjoy it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And when it touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. This is the autobiography of the most well-known Hebrew prophet, a man named Isaiah. It is recorded in the Jewish scriptures, or the Old Testament as it's often called today, inside of the book that bears his name. Isaiah became a prophet for the Hebrew people that day, the day he answered the call of the Lord with, here I am, send me. A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God, obviously a huge assignment at any point in history, but Isaiah steps into this role at a very tumultuous time. You see, a nation called Assyria is on the warpath, conquering countries and enslaving people in droves. Here's a map of the Near East at the time to kind of give you a full picture of what I'm talking about. You can see that the Assyrian kingdom is spreading all over the place. And if you look kind of the bottom middle there, you see Syria and that green piece. You see that the Assyrian empire is on the border of Israel and Judah. That is at this time when Isaiah is called as a prophet. They're taking over everything. And now their kingdom is bordering Israel and Judah, meaning the Hebrew people are probably next. And the current king of Judah, a guy named King Ahaz, is understandably worried about the Assyrians coming to conquer them. So God sends Isaiah to give him a message. Isaiah tells Ahaz that God will protect them if they trust God. But Ahaz is not really a, a trust God kind of a king. He likes to be in control. He likes to do things his own way. And God knows that Ahaz won't listen to him. He knows that most of the other kings of Israel and Judah won't either. And because of this, God knows that it will not be long until both Israel and Judah are conquered and sent into captivity. 
It's a time of fear and anxiety for the Hebrew people. But get this. Even though God knows that it's only going to get worse as they refuse to trust him and refuse to trust him and keep going their own way, he wants to let them know that he's still with them, that he still loves them, that he still cares for them, that no matter how far away they stray, no matter what it is that they do, he will always be there and that hope is coming. So here is the message that he gives them through the prophet Isaiah. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. He knows that they're going to be in darkness. He knows that they're going to be struggling. He knows that they're going to be in captivity by different groups of people. And he's saying, I'm going to bring a light into the darkness. I'm going to break you out of that slavery. I'm going to lift the heavy burden from your shoulders. God, you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Now, if you're not familiar with kind of Jewish scripture history, Israel during this point uh, that Midian happens, they're hiding in caves. They can't even be in their own cities and own land because these people from Midian keep sending these plundering attackers to, to kill people and enslave people and steal things. And so God raises up this guy named Gideon. And he just sends 300 people with him and they're able to conquer the Midians and, and free that yoke of slavery, break the oppressor's rod. God's saying that he's going to bring an end to that again, just like he did back in the time of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. God is saying we will bring an end to war and to violence. How will this happen? For a child is born to us a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Isaiah is talking about Jesus coming. And just in case you are skeptical, listen to what he said two chapters before as he began this same prophecy to King Ahaz. The Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Isaiah rightly predicts that a virgin will give birth to a son, and he will be God with us. This is Jesus, right? And then Isaiah says that he's going to carry these four titles with him, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Today we begin a four-week teaching series based on these four titles. We named it after Isaiah's quote, he shall be called. So it's kind of our, our holiday series, our Christmas series. It's going to take us through the very end of the year. So today we are looking at Wonderful Counselor. And if you weren't aware, next Sunday is our big Christmas bash, and so we're not having a normal gathering. We're just having a huge Christmas party next year, Sunday at 10 a.m., and then the next two Sundays in December, we'll be looking at Jesus as our mighty God and our everlasting Father. And then for our Christmas gathering on Sunday, December 22nd, we'll talk about Jesus as our Prince of Peace. How does that sound? Good? Okay, that's what's coming up over the next month. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Jesus as our wonderful Counselor. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the incredible, predictive, prophetic words of your guy, Isaiah, 
who answered the call with, here I am, send me. May we all answer your call that way. And God, as, as he stepped out in faith and opened his mouth as a mouthpiece for you, God, you, you didn't <laughs> yell at the people even though you could have. You didn't condemn them even though you could have. You didn't even get angry at that point, even though you could have. You said, even though you guys are gonna stray away, even though you're gonna run as far away from me as possible, there is hope coming, and his name is Jesus. And he will be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, and your prince of peace. So this morning, God, as we dive into what does it mean that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, open our hearts, illuminate our minds, Help us walk out of here a little bit differently than we walked in here because we are more deeply in love with the wonderful counselor and more deeply reliant on him day by day, moment by moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now there's one huge difference between the people who first heard this prophecy about Jesus and us as we read it today. Can you think about what that might be? They had to wait for it, right? They first heard this prophecy about Jesus, about this hope that was going to come, but they had to wait for it. Even though we associate these verses with Christmas, right? We, we read these Isaiah verses and talk about wonderful counselor, mighty God, and so on and so forth. Almost every Christmas, they're a part of Christmas songs. This prophecy wasn't given at Christmas time. There was no Christmas time in Isaiah's world. The people were looking forward to the birth of their Savior. They were looking forward to Emmanuel. God with us. We have the incredible privilege of looking back on the coming of Jesus every Christmas. But it's even better than that. Because if you are a Christian, meaning that you believe in and follow Jesus, then God with us is not some future hope. It's not even just some past event. It is a current reality that you and I, by the spirit of Jesus inside of us, live with day in and day out. Through the Spirit, Jesus is God with us every moment of every day. He is our wonderful counselor right here and right now. I think we forget that a lot, especially during Christmas time. This is more than just theological, it's more than just theoretical. Jesus, as our wonderful counselor, has the potential to change your life this holiday season. I really, really believe that. Because as wonderful as the holidays are, they can also be kind of a difficult time of year, right? Not if you're with me on that. We are out of our regular routines, we're spending more time with loved ones, and even though it's so, so good in so many ways, it can be really hard, too. And this is especially true if you're going to be spending time with someone you kind of have a complicated relationship with over the next month or so. Right, it's someone that maybe you don't spend a lot of time with the rest of the year because you both know, like, hey, this is, we just don't get along that well, but the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you're gonna be with them, and you're a little worried about it, you're a little anxious about it. Just side note, they might be just as anxious, if not more, to be with you. You might be the person that people are worried about. Not looking at anyone in particular. Another reason is maybe because of separation or loss. This is your first holiday season without someone. You've spent countless holiday seasons before that with them, but this is gonna be the first one without them, and you're a little worried about that. You're a little concerned about that. Maybe it's because you aren't at a place financially 
where you feel like you can provide the holidays that you want to provide for yourself or your family. You get so stressed out with all the planning and traveling and shopping and cooking that maybe just you're at a place where the holidays have lost their fun for you. You're just so stressed, so consumed by all that has to be done, all that you have to do, that you're gonna look up in six weeks and be like, I don't even know what just happened. It was just a whirlwind. I didn't even enjoy my family or remember the birth of Jesus like I wanted to. Or maybe for you, it's a loved one that's passed away around the holidays. And every year, this season kind of brings their memory to your mind. Or maybe for you, it's that you don't really have very many people to spend holidays with at all. Maybe you have before, or maybe you never really have, but it's kind of a lonely time. As you see shows and commercials, and you hear other people talking about all the family, all the people that they're with, and and you just don't really have that group. Or maybe it's because of the faith part of the holidays. You really struggle with that. You've walked away from faith or you aren't really sure about what you believe and this season kind of frustrates you because of that. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that the holidays have this way of kind of magnifying the things that we're struggling with throughout the rest of the year. Where we're not in work, we're not in school, we're off of our regular schedule and routines and we have all this extra time, we don't have these other things to distract us and so these issues that we've had that may, we may have like pushed down the rest of the year, they're kind of bubbling back to the surface, especially relational ones. Spouse, kids, friends, family, they kind of bubble back up. And I truly believe That God with us, Jesus as our wonderful counselor, he sees the difficult things that we're walking through. He understands them. That's really important. We're going to talk more about that in a second. He doesn't just see them. He understands them. And lastly, he wants to help. So with the rest of our time together, we are going to talk about the characteristics of our wonderful counselor and what it looks like to lean on him during this holiday season. Now, you may know that much of the Jewish scripture was originally written in the Hebrew language. And this Hebrew word for wonderful is pele, and it actually means too extraordinary for words. It's a really, really cool word. It's just like, this is not just wonderful, it's so wonderful that I'm speechless. That's Jesus. That's the coming Savior. Now, Jesus is indescribably wonderful, which is certainly amazing on its own, but I want to really focus in on this word counselor for a second. The Hebrew word for counselor is someone who gives advice from a position of understanding. Now let that sink in, that's super important. A counselor in in this language, it's the word yavatz. It is someone who gives counsel, gives advice from a position of empathy, from a position of understanding. A lot of us are in relationships with people who give advice based on nothing at all, right? or people who give advice with little to no understanding of what we are actually walking through. This is not the kind of counselor that Jesus is. Jesus is a counselor that gives advice, that gives help, that supports us because he understands what we've walked through. Most of us have experienced a counselor like this. I've gone to India twice over the last five years to help train local pastors and and do some social work, and both times my counselor has been this guy, Joseph. There he is, he's on the back of that little <laughs> motorcycle there. Just let that soak in just for a second, it's really great. 
So Joseph is just this incredible, incredible guy. And Joseph has been with me on both these trips. And actually, he's come back to the States a few times in between, and we've gotten to hang out. We've become like brothers, really, really close. And it didn't matter where we were or what we were doing in India, Joseph knew what to do. He knew what we were going to do. He'd done it a hundred times before. So sometimes we would walk into a Christian church and he would know exactly where to stop when we walked in, exactly who to talk to, exactly what to say. But we also went to Muslim mosques. We went into Hindu temples and he knew exactly where we could and could not stand, exactly who we needed to say hello to, exactly who we needed to not disturb as they were worshiping. It was invaluable. I mean, I would have just been tripping over myself without Joseph. He led me through everything, tourist attractions, hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Driving, whew, that's a whole different thing if you've ever been to India, right? I mean, and it's like a living organism. They, they don't have lanes, they don't have stoplights a lot of times, and literally you're just like going at each other and somehow they all kind of mesh together and come out the other side. If you've never, go home and just Google India traffic if you've never done that before. It is truly incredible. But Joseph knew how to drive. He knew what taxis to get in and what taxis to avoid. He knew everything. One time, we were walking into um, this area that they call the slums, and they're kind of in every major city, and we were in Mumbai. And the slums in Mumbai are, are truly incredible because they're literally, there's this one kind of major highway, and on one side is the most affluent area in India. I mean, I mean it is like more wealthy than most of us could ever imagine. And then on the other side is the largest slum in Mumbai, like literally just across the street from one another. It's, it's incredible. And so we walk into the slum and we're interacting with a few folks and, and trying to, to, we're giving out saris and we're giving out food and water and all of those kinds of things and praying for people and all that. And, and it was almost like a blur to me because I literally just followed Joseph wherever he went. And I remember we'd been walking kind of deeper and deeper into the slum for like 15 or 20 minutes, taking turns, going under things, going into homes, going out of homes. And I realized, like, if Joseph leaves me, it's over. Like, I have no, I have no way to get out of here. There's no way I could ever figure out, I don't speak the language. Like, I'm in trouble if, if Joseph leaves. But he's just with me. He's by my side the whole time. And everywhere we needed to go, he would just grab me by the shoulder and take me or he held my hand, it was the sweetest thing. We, we still hold hands when he comes to the States, it's amazing, we just hold hands and just walk places. Incredible. Joseph took me by the hand, no matter where we were, no matter what we were doing, and he led me, and I trusted him. You know why I trusted him? Because he'd done it before, like hundreds and hundreds of times. He knew what he was doing. He was trustworthy because of that. By the end of the trip, I wouldn't do anything without asking Joseph first. He was my counselor because he'd been there before. This is the kind of counselor that we have in Jesus. Listen to the way the anonymous writer of the New Testament letter called Hebrews says it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Listen, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let me give a little bit of context to help this passage really come alive for us. You see, the Jewish people were used to a very strict priesthood, under the old covenant, only a very small percentage of people were allowed even a shot to become a priest. First, you had to be Jewish, obviously. 
Second, you had to be a Levite. So if you don't know, all of the Jewish people were divided into one of 12 tribes based on their family of origin, based on their lineage. One of the tribes called Levi was the only tribe that was allowed to have priests. Third, you had to be a man. So just to have any shot at becoming a priest, you had to be a Jewish Levite man. This isn't even counting all the academic and moral requirements that went along with the priesthood training. But then Jesus came and changed everything. He became the great high priest and made every single Christian, regardless of your race, regardless of your family of origin or your gender, a priest. That's why Jesus calls us and Peter calls us later in a letter that he writes in the New Testament, a holy priesthood. You can imagine what a major shift this is for Jewish Christians coming out of a traditional priesthood model. But the writer of the letter of Hebrews points out that in addition to all of us becoming priests under Jesus, the great high priest, he or she says that Jesus is unlike any priest we have ever had. Why? Because Jesus can empathize with us. Because he's been through everything we could possibly face. He is our wonderful counselor. From a very young age, those Levite men were separated from the rest of the Jewish people and put on this path toward priesthood. This means that they did not have the same life that any other Jewish person had. They didn't have the same experiences that most people had. So when you went to talk to a priest, if you were a Jewish person, about being poor or about needing help with your kids or about struggling with doubt, they had no way of empathizing with what you were going through. They did not have the same set of life experiences that you had. So sure, they would give you counsel, they would give you advice, but it would not be based on their own experience. It would not be based on them having walked through it before, but Jesus is a different kind of priest. Jesus is God with us who actually came to earth to be with us and walk through the things we walk through. Jesus is a counselor who empathizes with us, who gives us advice based on his experience. Think about just how true this is for Jesus. He understands what it's like to be poor, right? You know the Christmas story. Jesus is born to a lower class family in the presence of animals. He spends his, he spends his first night in a feeding trough instead of a crib. You know, during his dedication at the temple, his family, Mary and Joseph, they can't afford the customary lamb that was given as a sacrifice for the firstborn son. So they bring two birds instead. This was a very specific provision given in the law for poor families. Early in Jesus' ministry, he says this about his transient lifestyle and lack of financial resources. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus spent three years of his life preaching from borrowed boats, multiplying borrowed food, drinking from borrowed buckets and riding on borrowed donkeys. And then he died and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus understands what it's like to not have enough, to be poor, to struggle. He also understands what it's like to be betrayed. Think about it, Jesus' murder on the cross was orchestrated by his own priests, enabled by one of his own disciples and decided by the chance of his own people. And as all of it was happening, one of his best friends even denies knowing him, not once, not twice, but three different times. 
And as he died, almost every single one of his friends, family, and followers totally abandoned him. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He also knows what it's like to be rejected. Most of us have heard of that time Jesus feeds the 5,000, right, with only five loaves and two fish. But a lesser known part of the story is what happens right afterwards. You see, pretty soon the crowd gets hungry again and they start demanding more food. And instead of just doing the same miracle again, Jesus starts to teach them about how he's the bread of life and how he can offer ultimate sustainment and fulfillment. But instead of listening, they get mad and they start to leave. And even his 12 disciples, his 12 closest friends start grumbling. They're talking about leaving him. Early on, in his time of traveling around and teaching and doing miracles, he visits his hometown of Nazareth. You would expect this, this kind of rabbi who'd been traveling around, who'd gotten famous, going back to his hometown, would receive this big, beautiful welcome. But do you remember what happens? He goes to his hometown synagogue, he gets up, he starts reading scripture and talking a little bit. They get so mad that they chase him to a cliffside and try to push him off. He knows what it's like to feel rejected. All throughout his ministry, Jesus gets condemned and rejected by people in power for spending time with people on the margins over and over and over again. He gets it. He also understands what it's like to be lied about, what it's like to be hated, what it's like to be abused by religious leaders, to lose loved ones, to face temptation, to be marginalized, and so much more. Listen, there is nothing we will face that Jesus hasn't already been through. There is nothing we will face that Jesus has not already been through. He sees us, he understands what we're going through, and he wants to help. He demonstrates this throughout his time on earth. Think about it, every miracle Jesus did, it started with a problem that someone had. I know that sounds dumb, right? It sounds like that's a really obvious thing, but Jesus isn't like David Blaine, right? We think about him sometimes, right? Like he just walks up to people on the streets and he's like, check this out, miracle, water to wine, right? He's not like that. He's not performing tricks. He's not doing magic. He is doing miracles because people needed help. He was letting blind people see, not because it looked cool, but because the people were blind. He was feeding people who were hungry, not because it looked cool, but because the people were hungry. Every single miracle that Jesus did is that him entering into a problem, seeing what's going on, empathizing with it, and fixing it. That's why he did miracles. That's what he did his entire time on earth. He is our wonderful, too wonderful for words, counselor who sees us and who helps us based on understanding what we're going through. And the question I hope that you're asking right now is simply, how? How do I get help from this wonderful counselor? How do I lean into him? How do I trust him, especially during this holiday season? Well, listen, I think there are two rules for getting help from the wonderful counselor. Here's the first one. Admit you need counseling. That's the first one. First rule for getting help from the wonderful counselor, admit you need counseling. This is the first step because if it doesn't happen, nothing else matters. If you don't admit that you need some counseling from the wonderful counselor, nothing else will happen. 
This is the first step. You see, Jesus came to help people who are hurting. Here at Restore, all the time, we talk about how God is on this mission of restoration as he fixes the brokenness in our lives and around the world. This has always been God's plan and was undoubtedly the mission of Jesus on earth, right? One of the times he was belittled for hanging out with the wrong kind of people, Jesus gets really explicit about just why he came to earth. Listen, he said, it says, when the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to earth to help people in need. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about people with good physical health. Okay? That's not what is happening here. He is saying that everyone has problems. Some people admit them and some people don't. He came for the ones ready to admit their issues and get some help. He came for the ones ready to say, I need some counseling. In his metaphor, Jesus is saying there are two kinds of humans, those who are sick and go to the doctor and those who are sick and pretend to be healthy. He came for the ones that are ready to go to the doctor. I don't know why so many of us pretend like we have it all together, especially to God. It's like we think that if we were honest with him about what we were really going through and the issues that we were having, he wouldn't love us anymore. But guess what? He already knows. He already knows. He already knows about that secret sin that you won't tell anyone about. He knows about it. He already knows about the thoughts that you just can't seem to get control of. He knows about your battle with addiction. He knows about your battle with mental health. He knows about your financial situation, even if you pretend like you don't have one in front of everyone else. He already knows it, and listen, it does not change the way he feels about you. He fully knows you and fully loves you. I don't think I'll ever get over that. Jesus is the only one who fully knows us and fully loves us. The only thing pretending to be healthy does is keep you from getting the help you really need. Jesus came for the ones who know they need a doctor. If you want help from the wonderful counselor, it starts with admitting you need some counseling. That's number one. Number two, listen to the counselor. Pretty easy. Admit you need counseling and listen to the counselor. This starts with prayer. Not just talking to God, although that's obviously important, but creating quiet places where you can also listen to God. It means seeking advice from Jesus followers, other Christians who know you and love you, who've been through what you've been through before. It means reading scripture. These are all ways that we listen to the counselor. But it's not just hearing, right? I didn't say hear the counselor. Listening means you actually trust God and put it into practice. You do what the wonderful counselor asks you to do. And listen, I know, I know this can be really hard sometimes because listen, you might be in some kind of unhealthy relationship that Jesus is leading you to end and you were thinking, but then I'll be all alone. Maybe he's leading you to stop using an unhealthy coping mechanism, but you are thinking, but then how am I gonna deal with the hard parts of my life? He might be leading you to be more generous with your time, to be more generous with your money, and you are thinking, but I have other things that I wanna do. 
I have other stuff I need to buy. Here's one that came from a conversation I just had recently. Jesus might be leading you to make your faith public through baptism. After church a few weeks ago, I was talking to someone who mentioned that they were feeling like baptism was the next step in their faith and that Jesus was calling them to. And as we talked about what it means, I could tell they were kind of getting nervous. And when I asked why, they said, I just don't think I'm good enough to get baptized yet. And without missing a beat, a friend standing right next to them said, none of us are. (laughs) Getting baptized isn't declaring how great we are. It's declaring how great Jesus is. When that truth sunk in, this person decided to take that next step listen to the wonderful counselor, and get baptized. We're gonna baptize them and a few others in two weeks on Sunday, December 8th. If that's maybe the next step that you've been thinking about, that you're ready for, come and talk to me after this or email me, zach at restoreaustin.org. I would love to talk to you about it. That whether it's baptism or being more generous or ending an unhealthy relationship,